Isn't that cool? Today is Palm Sunday, and that is how the week 2,000 years ago, a little bit more than that or so, began for Jesus and his disciples. They came into Jerusalem, and just as that video showed, they came into Jerusalem, and it was a triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. All the people were gathered there and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Talking about Jesus and his disciples and Jesus riding in, his disciples were walking with him. And so it was a triumphal entry and today is Palm Sunday when we celebrate that. But it didn't end that way at the end of the week, did it? He triumphantly enters into the city, but by the end of the week in less than just a few days... The people will be shouting at Jesus once again, but it will not be honor and praise. It will be crucify him. And so what a difference just a few days makes from the triumphal entry with the palm branches and the clothing and people honoring and, and, and really just giving praise to Jesus. And then the end of the week when he's arrested and crucified and buried. And this, there's this whole week, and that is the mixture of Passion Week of Holy Week. We celebrate what Jesus does for us and we celebrate the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And then, though, we also have to recognize the payment that was given, the price that was paid by Jesus for you and I, for all of us. And so today we continue our series. We're in this series called Let's Eat. That right there should just make you smile because I don't know about you, but I love to eat. You know, that's just one of those things. Uh, but let's eat. And we're really we're focusing on the meals, the last few meals that Jesus had together with people before really this last week and before he was crucified. And so today we are going to talk about please pass the bread. This is simply a taking a look. We're going to unpack the last meal, the very last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before he uh, actually is arrested and crucified. And then buried. And so this is the last meal that he has with his disciples. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the, this, this meal is called the Last Supper. And uh, rightly so, because it was the Last Supper that he had with his disciples. But we're going to talk a little bit about this. And uh, this meal is recorded by all four gospel writers. It was recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, as you would imagine, all four of those guys, they put a little different spin on this meal, right? Because they all kind of focused on slightly different aspects of this particular meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And so they all focus on different aspects, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. Today, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 26. So if you like to follow along in your own Bibles as we read this, of course, it'll be on the screen in a minute. Um, Matthew 26 is where we're going to be. Matthew focuses on two aspects of the meal, two specific aspects of the meal. We're going to talk about those two aspects today. That's going to be really the main focus of uh, of everything today. Okay, so we're going to jump into Matthew 26. This is the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. All right. Verse 20 is where we're going to start. Let's go ahead. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with 12 disciples While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. 
For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. So that's just the first part. We have another half to go. But that's the first half of the meal. And so Jesus sits down and they're about to have the Last Supper. What we know about this setting is they're in an upper room of a private residence in Jerusalem. They're in somebody's house that they actually invited them in and they're there to celebrate this meal together. This meal that they're having is called the Passover meal or the Seder. Um, This is still celebrated today um, uh, by the Jewish people. Okay, They still celebrate the Seder today. In fact, this is probably the one thing that if they were to say the one thing that they still celebrate almost very, very consistently, the Seder would be it, the Passover meal. This Passover meal was celebrated once a year annually on the same day in the Hebrew calendar every year. And it was to commemorate and to remember that God had saved them from slavery out of Egypt. That was their, it was their celebration of that. And so they're celebrating this Passover meal. But I, as you can imagine, this Seder is very different from any the disciples or Jesus had celebrated before. This is the last one for Jesus before he's crucified. And the disciples, Jesus tells some things that are kind of disturbing, actually, for the disciples. So they go in there and and we see all these things. Now, understand the setting, okay? Um, We have the first part that is presented by Matthew. The first part that he presents in this meal is pretty obvious. But we'll just simply call it the problem of sin. The problem of sin. That was the first... um, Major thing that Matthew focuses on. The problem of sin was with Judas. Okay? Now, the problem is, it's not just Judas, is it? The problem of sin is something that impacts and affects us all. But Judas is the one that is used as the example of the problem of sin, that he had separated himself from God. Now, understand that uh, as they're talking... Okay, we kind of get this idea that, again, they're sitting on chairs around a square table or rectangular table, all that kind of stuff. But we have the problem of sin, but they're not doing that. What they're doing is they're actually reclining. Okay, remember the pictures that I showed you? Show those pictures real quick. These are the pictures. This is just, this is not exactly how it looked by any means. This is just an artist's rendition of it. But essentially, they would have been laying around and, and it, the table maybe didn't look like that. It may have been a full, just one piece rectangular table. But they were laying around, lounging. They would recline at the table, and they would all lean on their left side. That was protocol. Okay? So they didn't sit in chairs and, and sit upright like we do today. So this is how the meal would have looked. They would have been reclining with their feet away from the table. And so Judas, we know, is probably very close, maybe even right next to Jesus during this meal. We think John was the other disciple that was right next to him on the other side. But Judas is very close because Jesus has this interchange that we just read about where he's asking Jesus this question, is it I, Lord, you know, or is it me? And he calls him rabbi, and he talks about that. And so they're very close, and he never lets the rest of the disciples know who the betrayer is, it, is going to be, right? He never lets that out of the bag. I mean, we understand that that would be a bad thing to do, okay? So then we sit down, and we're at this meal, and just imagine, this is the Passover. It's a celebration. This is a big deal. We do this once a year. And the first thing that Jesus says is, hey, guess what? One of you is going to betray me. I mean, talk about ruining the mood, you know, at the meal. 
All right. You know, they're lounging and they're like, you know, they're hanging out and they're just, you know, it's a dinner meal. They're just hanging out. They're talking. They're doing the Seder stuff. And there were rituals and they would sing songs and they were remembering the different various parts of the meal that would tie to the celebration. They're just having a good time. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. Oh, about dropping the bomb, you know, okay, (laughs) we're having a good time. Not anymore. Just the mood shifts. You can just feel, can't you, how the tension would be in the room when Jesus says that? I mean, that's just not something you go, oh, well, well, okay, cool. Uh, Pass the bread. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's a tension. It's, it's awkward. It's, it's tough. And so Jesus brings this out in verse 22. This is, I mean, this is exactly what he says. Throw it verse 22 there. I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. That's what Jesus says. And they don't let the disciples know that it's Judas, which is a good thing. (laughs) Imagine what would happen if the disciples found out that he was the guy that was going to betray their Lord. Okay. Probably not going to go well for Judas. So Jesus keeps it a secret. He answers in the most vague way he can (laughs) to make sure that Judas knows, I heard you. Yes, I know it's you. Nobody else does. So there's only two people. Jesus and Judas are the only ones that know that he's going to be the one to betray him. And everybody else is just there, and they're just kind of blown away by the statement that Jesus makes. But then the question, I think, becomes for you and I to really get into this story. And I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but why did Judas betray Jesus? I mean, he's, he's been one of the 12, the 12 disciples. They've been hanging out for years. They've been walking around with him. They've been doing ministry with him. They've seen Jesus heal people miraculously, all these things. And now Judas wants to betray Jesus. Why? Some people say it's for the 30 pieces of silver that he got. You know, just riches. He just wanted money. Potentially. That's, that's a good thought. A lot of theologians, a lot of experts will tell you, uh, if looking at the scriptures and diving into the original language, they will tell you that Judas had, had really just started to realize that Jesus, he was hoping that Jesus would be a true king. He called himself, people called him the king of kings. He was hoping that he was truly a royal political king who was going to lead a rebellion against the Romans and free them politically. A lot, of, a lot of theologians and experts will tell you that that's what Judas really wanted Jesus to do. Is that true? Quite possibly is true. In fact, it, there's a good chance that it is. So to get rich, maybe, to, to, you know, that he found out Jesus isn't really going to turn out to be who I wanted him to be? Yeah, that could be. But then there's this other major problem <laughs> that is really the issue here. Riches? Sure. Yeah, that Jesus wasn't what he wanted to be? Sure. But there's a real other major issue here, and it's the problem of sin. It's the problem of sin. And the text in the Bible actually shows us this. Okay? We can actually see how this plays out. Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And what do you, imagine, what do you think human beings do when somebody calls you out? <laughs> what do we do? Oh, oh, it won't be me. Oh, that's terrible. I can't believe somebody would do that. It's not me, is it, Lord? By the way, <laughs> right? The just defensiveness goes up. Just whoa, no, Jesus, we love you. We would never do that. You know all this, and they go through this this series, and they start asking. Go to that verse after Jesus asked that question, where it says, "One of you betrayed me." Greatly distressed, also defensive. <laughs> Each one asked in turn, "Am I the one, Lord?" 
Now, this may seem like a simple phrase, but the key to this whole thing is the last word in that verse. Lord. They said, am I the one, Lord? You know what that original word is? If you look up the original word that was used that we translate, remember, the disciples are not laying around the table going, am I the one, Lord? That's English. Okay, that's how we understand it. That's not how they said it. <laughs> the original word is recorded in Greek. And the Greek word is kurios. Kurios is the Greek word for Lord in this particular case. Okay, kurios literally translated means, and th- this, is, this is huge, literally translated the one with power or authority or the one who makes the decisions. So the disciples are saying, am I the one, Lord, one who has power over my life, one who has authority for me, one who makes decisions for how I need to go? Okay, that's a big deal that they call him Lord, Kurios, because that's a whole different level, isn't it? They're calling him Lord because he is the one that has ultimate authority in their life. And this is a big deal. And so we have that. But now, if we take another look at how Judas does this, there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. And this is something that I have never, again, I love digging into this stuff because I catch stuff. I'm like, oh, I've never seen that before. What in the world? I've read this like 27 times. Okay, look at this. This is what... This is what This is what Judas says. Okay, go to that next verse. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked. He also asked a question, but he says, Rabbi, am I the one? (laughs) You notice that word change? That is not kurios. That is not Lord. You know what that is? Rabbi translates to great one or great teacher. Okay, that sounds honorable, doesn't it? That sounds very respectful. In fact, to anybody else in the world, that is very awesome. To be called rabbi was a big deal. A great one, a great teacher. But the problem is, Judas is nowhere near the level that he's supposed to be with Jesus like the rest of the disciples are. You see the difference there? Judas thinks of Jesus as a great person, a great prophet, a great teacher, Rabbi. That's how Judas thinks of Jesus. The problem is not that he thinks he's a great teacher because Jesus is, but that he doesn't consider him Lord. He does not consider him Lord. That, my friends, is where the problem of sin comes in. Sin is not necessarily something that we do or don't do that is bad. It can be. But sin is a motivation, a a level, a position of our heart, of our soul. Is Jesus just some cool dude? Is he just somebody that's interesting to hear about on Sunday? Is he kind of controversial and so I kind of like hearing about it? I like watching the History Channel because they do this cool stuff on the Bible and Jesus. Is he just a teacher or is Jesus Lord? The question becomes for all of us, and this is a really important question, maybe the most important question that you will ever ask. Who is Jesus to you? 
Because in that room, the disciples, most of them had figured out who Jesus was for them. And by the way, they're not, they're not free from sin either. There's another account, not in Matthew, but in another gospel writer. They record that the disciples, soon after this, you know what they do? They have an argument about who's going to be the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of God. They do. All the disciples. So, so it's not like they were perfect and they like get it and like, Lord, we love you and we're going to follow Jesus perfectly for the rest of our lives. No, right after this, they argue about, no, I'm going to be greater. No, I, I'd like to be greater. No, Jesus, I'm better. I know it. Okay, so problem of sin still in the disciples as well. <laughs> but Judas is just made as, as the one that's very obvious. And so who is Jesus to you? Now, so, so Matthew illustrates the problem of sin. That's the first part of this meal. But praise God that that doesn't end there, right? This meal, if the meal ends there, this is a really bad day to even talk about this whole meal. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's cloudy, it's gloomy, it's like, well, this is happy. So thankfully we don't get to end just with the problem of sin, right? There is the problem of sin, we all deal with it. But we don't end there. Second part of the meal, let's look and see what happens after we hear all this about Jesus. Okay? As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So this seems like a downer because we're talking about sacrifice and we're talking about Jesus's crucifixion, all that stuff, but it's not. Because the problem of sin is the first thing that is is put out there. But then we have the second thing that Matthew illustrates very clearly by what Jesus says at that meal. He says, there's the problem of sin, but guess what? There is this new thing, and it's me. (laughs) The disciples don't know that yet, but it's me. I am the promise of salvation. The promise of salvation. We have the problem of sin, but it can only be solved and taken care of by the promise of salvation, which is Jesus. And so we have, again, Jesus knows in a few short hours, in in fact, just a few hours from this meal, he is going to be arrested, betrayed, crucified, buried, and then in in a few days will rise again, right? But all of that is going to happen literally within a few hours. He's going to be arrested. Jesus knows this. He's the only one that knows this. Judas doesn't even know all that, even though he's going to betray him. He doesn't know all that's going to happen to him. In fact, Judas feels really bad about it later and... uh, he, did, he didn't realize what was going to happen to Jesus. And so we have all these things. And so Jesus knows I need to make sure the disciples, they won't understand it right now at this meal, but I need to help them understand that this is what I'm going to do. I am going to be, I literally am the promise of salvation. I'm going to take care of this problem of sin. Once and for all, I'm going to wipe it out. And so Jesus, he takes the bread at this meal and the bread and the wine, it would have been there because that was part of the meal that they did. They had the unleavened bread that was there. So he would have taken the bread and what he does is he uses that bread as, as the symbol of what's going on. He says, this is my body. This represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. 
Now we celebrate it as has already been broken. But he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I am going to do for you. I'm about to do for you. Remember that this is my body, which is broken on your behalf. Again, the disciples don't fully understand this, but that's what he's saying. And then, so he takes that, and that's very intense symbolism there. I mean, that's, that's a great example for them. And then he takes the cup. And imagine that he has this one cup, and he passes it around. He says, each of you take a drink. This drink represents my blood, which is also going to be spilled. It's going to be poured out for your sins, for the sins of all people, for the sins of many. And Jesus takes that and they pass around, they take the cup and they drink the cup. And you have this very intense illustration that Jesus gives to them. Not only do we have the problem of sin, everybody has it, but we have this promise of salvation that Jesus is about to take care of the whole deal in one shot, one fell swoop. And so we have two parts to this. And Romans, the book of Romans talks about this. Okay? It, it really says that everybody deals with sin. Go to that passage, okay? Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. Okay, this is what Jesus was saying. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Some of us betray Jesus. Some of us argue about who's going to be greater. Some of us fight for this, that, and the other. Whatever the case is, but we all have the problem of sin. Nobody is free from that. But then the great thing is that Jesus became the promise of salvation. And as a result, what do we have? We have an amazing opportunity to be saved from the problem of sin. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that that his crucifixion was not the end all for him, you will be saved. Everyone has sinned, but Jesus died so that anyone who believes in him says with their mouth, you are Lord Jesus, you are Lord, they will be saved. So it doesn't have to end with the problem of sin. That's the joy of the whole thing, that God said, I don't want you to pay the price for sin. I don't want you to be separated from me. Therefore, I'm going to do something pretty crazy. Jesus is going to die in your place. He's going to take on the sins of everybody. Everybody past, everybody present, everybody future. Even everybody in Wanakee. Again, I mean, imagine that. That's everybody that ever has existed. Jesus takes the sins on himself and is crucified, killing those sins if only we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he's raised from the dead. We have the promise. Jesus promises you will be saved. And so we have this problem of sin, but we have this promise of salvation. It's an amazing meal. There's never been a meal like it. In fact, this is where we get communion from, right? This is where Jesus instituted him, his, himself that first time at that meal with his disciples. How cool was it to be at the first communion, <laughs> right? Or Eucharist or Lord's Supper, whatever you like to call it. 
Jesus instituted the first one. And it is this for this salvation. There was a story of a group of people who were in China. And uh, they were swimming in the river, in this particular river in China. And uh, the leader of this, this group of men, um, he was standing on the shore because apparently he couldn't swim or you know, couldn't swim very well. But he was hanging out and they were all swimming in the river. And he looked out and he noticed their, one of their biggest, strongest men, just a big, big guy, was out in the river, but he was struggling in the water. And he realized that he must have gotten a leg cramp or something, but he, he was all of a sudden not able to keep his head above water. And so he couldn't swim. And so he looks over at another guy who was on the shore, on the, on the, on the edge of the river, and he motions to him and, and points out the guy who is, uh, who is basically ready to drown. And he's getting frantic. And he says, go, you know, kind of motions to him because he was down the river to get in and, and save this guy. And the swimmer notices who he's looking at, but he just stands there and he looks at the swimmer. And the leader starts getting a little bit frantic because the guy, he looks out in the river and he's starting to go under a lot more now. And, and it goes for several seconds and maybe even closer to a minute. And, and he continues to struggle. And, and he doesn't understand why this, this other guy, this strong swimmer, is not going to jump in and save him. And so he's getting really upset and he starts yelling at the guy, get in, save him. And this guy, in the meantime, he goes under for what looks like could be the last time. And he, he's just not going to be able to stay above the water. And the guy goes under the water for what seems like the last time. And all of a sudden, the leader looks out and he sees that strong swimmer. In a flash, he jumps in. And before he knows it, he's, he, he swims so fast, he's to the guy and pulls him up from under the water and drags him to shore. And the leader is ticked off. <laughs> he's just mad. He's, he's handing it to this strong swimmer. He's like, why didn't you save him? You almost, he almost drowned. I mean, the river could have carried him away. I don't understand what you were doing. Why didn't you get in? And the strong swimmer just looked up calmly and he said, listen, this guy's a big, strong guy. If I would have jumped in right away while he was still struggling, he would have not only drowned himself, he would have taken me down with him. Only until he stopped struggling and trying to save himself could I come in and save him. The same is, the, is for you and I. Some of us are struggling like crazy against God because we're trying to save ourselves. I know, I know the American mentality. We are. Don't tell me we are. We are. We try to save ourselves every day. I know I do too. I struggle like crazy. I'm like, oh, just another email. Just, just if I can just, if I can have a couple more hours tonight, I can knock this out. That's what we do, right? Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We say that, don't we? And Jesus is saying to all of us, stop struggling. Stop trying to save yourself. Once you stop trying to save yourself, then I can come in and you will be saved. It's a powerful illustration. And Jesus is there waiting for us, ready for us to accept him as Lord, not just as teacher, not just as rabbi, but as Lord, as Lord and Savior. The question once again becomes, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? The band's going to come up, but before we kind of get into all that, 
we are going to be taking communion today. And so we're going to get to celebrate this. Um, And here at Northridge, I just let you know, because some of you are new here today, I know. And just so that you understand about communion for us at Northridge, we practice something that is called open communion, which means you don't have to be a part of our denomination. You don't have to be a member of our church. That, that That doesn't bother us or matter to us as far as communion is concerned. It just doesn't. What we ask is that you've accepted Jesus as Lord, not as teacher, not as something else, but as Lord. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we invite you, we want you to partake in communion. We've set it up all around the room. So as we do this, this is our opportunity to celebrate uh, Jesus and what he did for you, that he paid the price for your sin, for my sin, for all of our sin on the cross. When he was crucified, he paid the price for you. He, he took your place. He said, This is what everybody deserves because of sin, but I took your place and I'm going to hang on the cross for you. And that's what communion is about. It's simply believing in that and accepting that and celebrating that. And so I invite you to take communion if you've made that choice, you've made that decision. But one thing I want to just talk about before we get into communion, there is this issue of sin. We all have it. Nobody is free from it. And the only way to be free from it is to stop trying to save yourself and instead surrender your life. Give it to Jesus. It's the only solution for sin. The Bible is very clear that the only one who can take away sins, that can have remission of sins, is Jesus. Jesus' blood. So you have to accept Jesus, though, as Lord. You have to take and make that choice. Jesus is not going to force you and be like, you're going to do this. He gives us the opportunity to do this, but we have to choose it. And so maybe you're here and you've never chosen Jesus as Lord. Maybe you never have. Maybe you just, you just haven't taken that step. You just, you say, I've never done that. Maybe you're in here and, and you're not sure if you've done that. Maybe you kind of like, well, I've, I've been going to church. Does that count? And maybe you're just not sure. And so again, this is a decision to make. Maybe Maybe you're like what I have felt really even the last, to be honest, couple of weeks. And maybe you're just trying too hard. Maybe you're just trying to save yourself. Maybe you're just trying to, maybe you're just trying to work too hard at this thing called life. And you just need help with it. And Jesus says, just make me Lord. Let me direct your life. Let me help. We're all in different places. And no matter where you're at... What I'm going to do is, to, to before we go into communion, uh, I just want to give you this opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer that, that was, is basically like if I were giving my life over to, to the Lord, to Jesus, which I've already done. But if I were to do that, I'm going to pray that prayer. And all you need to simply do, if this is like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would like to do that. Then you just need to pray silently along with me as I pray this prayer. And, and if you do that today, guess what? This can be your first day to take communion. The first time ever. In fact, I know that there are two people in here specifically. And I talked to them this week. Uh, this is their first communion ever today. They accepted Christ just a couple months ago, just, just within the last couple months. And, and this is their first opportunity to take communion today. That is awesome. 
And I'm just saying, I'm giving the opportunity that this can be your first time to take communion as a follower of Christ, making him Lord. And so if that is you, I want you to do that today. I'm going to pray this prayer. Just pray silently along with me in your chair. But th- this, is, this is a big deal. If you do that, you need to come and just tell me. You don't have to tell anybody else if you don't want to yet. You'll get there. You'll eventually want to just tell everybody. But, but come and tell me. Let me know. Write it on your Connect card. Something. Let us know. I'm not going to announce it. I'm not going to say, hey, guess what, everybody? Let's clap. You know, and all this. I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay? I, I promise you, I won't do that. But, but I am going to rejoice with you. And I'm going to be really excited because I believe that this is the most important decision that anybody can ever make. I believe that this is the only way. I believe this book says this. When it says this is the only way to get rid of sin, I believe this is the only way. I believe that. So I want you to do that. But let us know. (laughs) And we can get you a Bible. We can talk to you. If you have questions, say, hey, I did this, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Cool. We can talk about that. Just, Just let us know. Okay, we're going to do that. So let's pray together. Okay, just close your eyes and, and, and let's pray. And if, if, if this is you that you want to choose Jesus as Lord for the first time today, just, this is what, just pray along with me silently in your head. Do this. Okay, this is what you pray. Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. I've been struggling against you. I know, Lord, that I have sin and that I need to get rid of it. So, Jesus, I'm asking you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins against you. Come into my life and be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me and I believe that you were raised from the dead. I believe, Jesus, that you're the only one that takes sins away. And so I'm asking Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. Take my sins away. I make you Lord of my life. And from now on, from this day forward, I will live for you, Jesus. You are my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.